If you're looking for a podcast to break down the X's and O's of last night's college football national championship game between the uh, Georgia Bulldogs and the Horned Toads of Texas Christian University. Oh, we have a niece who's an alum of there. Yes, we do, and, and I'm sure have, she's not happy about And we have that. no kin folks who went to Georgia. <laughs> well. Although the dog is cute. Well, Ugga, yeah. yeah. Ugga the seventh or however many Uggas they've had. Yeah. But yes, uh, but this is not that podcast. N no, and they weren't playing tic-tac-toe with X's and O's anyway. Right. Right. Uh, this is, however, comedy. Tragedy. Marriage. marriage. We're back at it like a bad habit. This is comedy. Tragedy, Marriage, a podcast where a married couple takes turns each episode selecting a movie, TV show, or documentary to watch. We watch it together, then we sit down and discuss why we liked it, loved it, or loathed it, and then we share that discussion with you. I am Stan the Movie Man. I review films at StanTheMovieMan.com. You can see my latest review, which is the uh, horror movie Megan. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MovieManStan. You can follow the podcast at CT Marriage. You can get in touch with us via email, comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com. And you can leave us a voice message simply by clicking the link in the description of this episode. Joining me as always is uh, the, the, the sunshine to my darkness, the, the light to... My darkness. <laughs> I didn't plan that very well. Uh, my other half. Um, and the the um, darkness to your darkness also, Maud the Midnight Broad. Ah. Ah. Uh, we are back after a brief break for the holidays, and it was Maud's choice this week. Please tell us what you selected. First of all, Happy New Year, all. Hi. Um, okay, so it was my choice, and I had to actually ask Stan. I'm like, is it my turn to pick a movie? Is it your turn to pick a movie? Because, you know, I slept a minute during our holiday break mm -hmm. and um, didn't remember. He's like, it was your turn. I'm yes. like, oh, okay, sweet, cool. So um, what I picked, as is so often the case, I was just bouncing around on the, uh, the, the TV clicky thing, um, among our various streaming services, mm -hmm. and I, I, I was, I searched actually specifically for the actor Gary Sinise because I was looking for um, one of my holiday favorite films for Christmas to watch, which um, stars him, which is called Fallen Angel, which we'll probably mention later in this episode. We but may. anyway, um, among the Gary Sinise choices in our um, TV clicker thingy was um, a war film called A Midnight Clear. Now this was a 1992 theatrical release. Um, it's a war drama, obviously, um, as I said, a war film, um, written and directed by Keith Gordon. Now it was based upon a book by the same name, uh, Midnight Clear, um, which was published in 1982 uh, by the author William Wharton. It is set um, in 1944 during World War II. Um, it tells the story of uh, an American intelligence unit 
um, that encounters a German platoon um, wishing to surrender. Okay, so it's uh, it was a really all-star ensemble cast um, featuring Gary Sinise, also Peter Berg, Kevin Dillon, Ari Gross, Ethan Hawke, um, Frank Whaley, and John C. McGinley, who pre-scrubs, um, can we just say that even, you know, in 1992, John C. McGinley was really um, honing his skills at playing jackasses, <laughs> because his character is utterly despisable in this film. But yes. anyway, um, Ethan Hawke is sort of the main protagonist and also the um, voiceover narrator we hear throughout the course of the film. Um, um, now, the the movie opens um, with Gary Sinise's character, who is nicknamed Mother because he's the oldest in the platoon at the ripe old age of 26. Um, he's, he's married. He's also the rule follower. He's also the rule follower. Um, he is also um, the only one married and the only one who's not a virgin, um, which, you know, there's a whole, you know, little subplot in the early, early moments of the film mm -hmm. that uh, that addresses that whole thing. And it turns out to be a really sweet um, kind of subplot. Um, but anyway, it opens with Ethan Hawke, um, whose name is Sergeant Knott. Um, his given name is Will, and with the name like Will Not, he is given the nickname Won't. Um, so anyway, he and Gary Sinise's character, Mother, are um, alone in a foxhole, and Gary Sinise's character is kind of basically losing his mind. They are... Um, in the frozen tundra somewhere in in Europe at this time and he is you know they're deep in snow and it's frigid and frosty and Gary Sinise's character mother is just um, falling apart at the seams and he runs off into the forest screaming like a banshee screaming like a banshee stripping off articles of clothing and leaving them in his trail um, we learn that he has gotten some very tragic bad news from home, and that's caused him to sort of have a momentary break with um, with logic and reason, shall we say. Mm -hmm. um, it, the film takes place um, in December 1944. According to the wiki, it's the early phase of the Battle of the Bulge. Um, this unit um, that these fellows are um, are assigned to is was originally 12 members and they've lost half their their complement um, as the war has proceed has proceeded um, they are they were chosen for this unit because of their high IQs I think somebody didn't understand what intelligence meant in yeah, that particular instance. Yeah, yeah, because Army John, intelligence versus intelligence quotient. Uh, John C. McGinley plays their commanding officer who is back A donkey. At, yeah, well, yeah. he's back at uh, the command base. Mm -hmm. And he has sent the 12-man team out and on a ill-advised mission and gotten half of them killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... The rest of these boys, um, it becomes clear, are 
they're they're bonded um but sometimes at odds with one another as you know young boys and you know 20 somethings are considered still boys in in my universe anyway they're yeah. children uh they're bonded even though they have seen some terrible terrible things well that's what bonds them yes but they also sometimes don't agree on strategy or how to proceed with things and they're really sort of just sort of flailing around in the dark essentially yeah they're kind of on their own yeah um but anyway they're they're sent on assignment to an abandoned chateau in the Arden Forest. And they're supposed to be scoping things out there. And um, as they settle into this abandoned chateau, there's like, you know, they've got shelter and there are sheets and pillows and um, wine. Wine and sardines. <laughs> so, or salmon, something with some kind of. Can't fish. It, well, there were definitely sardines. There may yeah. have been salmon too. But. Um, anyway, uh, as they're settling in, um, they start sensing other activity, other people in the area. And of course, they're scared to death because they're, you know, on their own, um, out in the wilderness, freezing, even though they have shelter. And, you know, they're on the lookout for Nazis everywhere, Nazi soldiers. Mm -hmm. Well, who they're encountering is actually, at first, it's like they're being pranked. Um, it turns out that it's a, a very raggedy group of German soldiers who actually want to surrender. Um, now, a, a part of this film is something that I had heard about before, and I didn't know if it was a true story or not. It turns out that it, it is not a true story. Um, but their urban myth and this book, and now this movie, um, talk about a night um, during the Christmas season where a, an American unit and a German unit in the Ardennes Forest um, have their own informal ceasefire and, um, you know, stop their hostilities and sing Christmas carols together and, you know, sing Silent Night in German and all of that. And um, this movie and book is where that came from um, because it's it's portrayed here in this movie and they, they share their rations of whatever it is they have with each other. Um, so they come up with a plan that they're gonna have they're gonna have like a fake skirmish and um, let these German soldiers surrender to them but they're gonna make it look like there was an actual battle and part of the reason that they want to do it that way is um, in order to um, to be able to um, get mother get mother um, sent home sent home and um some kind of medal for his right. service um and also the german soldiers are afraid that if they just surrender and that gets back to oh, the german high killed, command that their, killed their and families tortured. will be killed and tortured killed and tortured yeah so um it it 
it works out better for everybody for them to look like they've had a battle. Right. So they. But come, they don't want to tell mother because again, he's the rule follower. And he he has his pride, and they don't want him. You know, he doesn't. They don't want him to feel like it's some kind of charity on their part. Right. Because he would never accept it. And um, they want to they want to save his pride and his dignity, and they want to get him sent home because he has a wife that he desperately needs to get back to um, for both of their sakes. Mm -hmm. So everybody has good intentions going into this thing, and um, so they they hatch their plan. Um, um, Schutzer, who is played by Ari Gross, is the one Jewish member of their company, and he speaks enough German slash Yiddish to be able to understand what the German soldiers are saying. Mm -hmm. So he serves as the translator and spokesman um, for their group. Um, so they, they hatch this plan. And both sides agree to what they're going to do. They're going to fire their weapons off into the air. And um, they're going to, you know, there's going to be spent shell casings and stuff. And they're going to... Um, Make it look like that they had a battle and that, that the, the Germans were defeated mm -hmm. so, and then taken prisoner. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you want to give away the ending. I don't. Okay. Um, but things things don't go as planned. Things, things spin a bit out of control. Things don't go as planned. Um, there are a lot of things to recommend this film. I, I mentioned to Stan last night, I'm like, gosh, we should have watched this, um, you know, a couple of years ago when we were watching MASH and Catch-22, mm -hmm. when we were, you know, doing the war movie mm -hmm. thing. Um, but I didn't know about the movie at the time and, you know, things happen as they will, mm -hmm. when they will. Mm -hmm. So, um, I felt like, well, the cinematography and scenery was gorgeous. Um, parts of this film were shot in Utah. Um. So they didn't have to go with fake snow. They could just use the real stuff. Yeah. And it, it, um. It looks bitterly cold. It looks it's almost tactile how visually cold mm. this film is. And then the interiors where they're inside the chateau are equally warm. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, the, the, the way that the sets are dressed and lit particularly. And they have a fireplace in there. And so, you know, warm light from fire mm -hmm. does a lot. Um, Mother actually spends a lot of time in the attic of this chateau where when we finally, you know, are escorted up to the attic by Ethan Hawke's character, we see that the attic space is lovely and it's filled with artwork and it's just, it's a beautiful space. I don't blame Mother for spending time up there. Yeah, it, it's like, it's like the one refuge of civilization of of peace and calm uh coming because they show Sinise's mother sitting up there cross-legged just staring at these paintings uh when ethan hawk's character comes up and, and it it's, doesn't and look it's like it, it's like his refuge yeah it in, actually in this madness 
the attic space actually looks like it was untouched by whoever, um, you know, ransacked the bottom part of the house. Well, I'm not sure the bottom part was ransacked as much as... Just abandoned? As it was, they moved all the valuable stuff that they couldn't take with them, whoever owned the chateau. Yeah. Moved that up to the attic. Maybe. Um, And apparently... I, I I may be misremembering, but it was difficult for Mother to get into the attic. I may be misremembering that. So maybe whoever put that stuff up there sealed the attic so that... Um, Their treasures would be protected. That it wouldn't be looted yeah. if the Germans came through or anybody else came through. Yeah. I, and again, I may be misremembering that. No. That makes sense. Even if it wasn't overtly spelled out that way, it makes sense. But yeah, obviously this this area is where the homeowners had hidden the things that were important to them. Um, And it was uh, it was mother's uh, place of peace where he could when he could get it. Yeah, because because when we meet mother. He is losing his mind. He's losing his mind, stripping off his clothes, running off into the woods in the frigid, freezing cold. And, and there's a scene of Sinise where he's naked and he's kneeling in this this stream. Yeah. And he's like washing his face or his hands or something. That had to be miserable to, be to shoot. Yes. And we get, terrible. we get some young Gary Sinise serious side bod. <laughs> Um, well, or you, a body you get, double. You, you get it. Well, no, I think it was him. Uh, you get a, a fairly decent look at his bare backside, um, if that interests you. Uh, but I, I just, knowing that they shot it, the exteriors anyway, in Utah. Right. Um, in real that cold. That had to be That just had to be a miserable, terrible. a miserable shoot overall for, for these you know, and and young men in their prime, but still. Well, you know, a, a, that's a stream just that's crazy, mi- just above freezing, right? That cannot. Ugh. I mean, when uh, they shot the Lord of the Rings movies, um, they shot one scene where um, uh, Gollum is snatching a fish out of a stream. Well, they had to take flamethrowers to that stream to melt it. Uh, because it was winter in New Zealand when they shot it. Dang. So Andy Circus, who did the body, uh, the motion capture, mm-hmm. was in that stream that Ugh. had just been thawed out with flamethrowers. Nuh-uh. And it was very, very cold. And I just yeah. can't imagine uh, doing that. Yeah. Bad things happen to men in the cold like that. Well, it's it's actually happening to me right now. Well, it it, it not only that, but I mean, just that cold water. Ugh. Just when I get splashed in the shower when I first turn it on, I throw my hands up and try to block as yeah, much of I'm it as not, I can I'm, because that that sudden splash of cold water takes your breath away. It is unpleasant. It quite. So it's anyway. like jumping into a, a cold uh, swimming pool. That you weren't expecting, and it's they, like it just sucks the breath out of you. These people who do these, like, polar bear challenges and well, stuff. Well, those people are insane. I don't get that at all. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we've gone off track a little Quite bit. Quite a bit, Squirrel. Yes. Um, yes. Anyway, um, this is a really high-powered ensemble cast. And 
to me, it felt like the casting was pretty spot on as far as like the the actors chosen and the characters they played and um, the the score by Mark Isham was just evocative and sweeping and beautiful. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts? Um, it it struck me this movie struck me as a little weird as it was going through. Yeah, because you know it it makes sense as it goes forward, but it was like, are they um, like the, the Germans? They hear the voices uh, in the darkness. It's like, is this real? Uh, yeah, are they having yeah. a mass hallucination? Uh, are these ghosts? Is this some sort of supernatural thing? Um, Sorry, I'm pilfering for stuff. And it was, I, I just was not sure what was happening. Uh, but See, then. Sometimes you gotta roll with the flow. I, I understand. Yeah. Uh, and then we watched a movie similar to that um, where you're never quite sure what's going on The Pale Blue Eye uh, on Netflix. Yeah. Um, but that, we'll talk about that later, too. Uh, but it was like, is this some sort of, like, supernatural Christmas story? And or is it like um, a deranged group hallucination yeah, a mass, due to war? mass hysteria hallucination yeah. kind of thing. And it's far more grounded than that. It, it The way it's presented, because the Germans just don't walk up and say we surrender or whatever that would be. No, they were, they were kind of, I think they were baiting the Americans to see who they were dealing with. Right. And they see that they're a bunch of kids. And this German unit is a bunch of kids and an old guy. A a couple of older senior officers. Like clearly at the, the, the end of their resources. They uh, they are holed up in a cabin uh, off in the woods. Yeah. Not that far away uh, from the chateau. Uh, and they have, they have, I believe, and again, I may be misremembering, but I believe there was something said about having, they had been on the Russian front. Yes. And had come back from that and were, you know, just Done. destroyed. Yeah. And then... You know, one of one of the Americans says, you know, apparently the Germans are now sending us old men and kids, old men and children, yeah, uh, as soldiers. So, you know, and again, like you said, they were testing the Americans. And at one point, um, it appears the Germans have three of our guys dead to rights, like pointing guns at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a hill, and the Americans are going crazy, losing their minds, screaming and uh, about how they're all about to die, and then the Germans just disappear. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty clear our guys really aren't much of a threat. They aren't looking for a fight. Um, and I think that's what convinces the Germans to to come forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting movie that constantly has this air of dread hanging over it. Uh, I, In part because it's World War II and 
apparently the Germans are going to be coming through this section of the Ardennes forest um, shortly, an and we don't know. Yeah, yeah we don't, don't know, know exactly when. how long, but they know that their time is, is borrowed. Short. Yeah, um, and and even before you know that, you just it just feels like their existence is the the American soldiers' existence is constantly hanging on by a thread. Yeah, and it's war movie a lot of war movies have that in common. Yes, but if the war is the primary element in the film, now if it's a love story that happens during war, that's different. Well, in in this case though, it's they aren't in battle constantly. It's not like saving private Ryan. Um or the 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 threat of battle is just around the corner. But still. a lot of times they're just hanging out at this house and they're on guard duty. So a couple of them are out on guard duty and the rest of them are in the house. But it just feels like that catastrophe is just looming right around the corner, mm -hmm. even though you don't know that's what will happen uh, because they aren't in an active battle area. Uh, but once... The, the fact that these kids have been, that are, are led by John C. McGinley's uh, Major Griffin, who was um, a mortician in his civilian life, and uh, during one of the voiceovers, it said that he's sending lots of business to his yeah. army counterparts because he's a fool. Yeah. Um, and you just, you just know that he's going to make a terrible decision and get them all killed mm -hmm. or, you know, the Germans are going to come flooding through that region or the Germans that they are talking with indirectly, maybe it's a, a, a ruse to try to get them to expose all of the soldiers mm -hmm. and kill them. So it just feels like there's this air of the other shoes you know, about to drop yeah or the other boot, a constant, as it were it's a constant threat that is is not spoken but just always seems to be there at least that was my interpretation of it no i think that's fair it's a pretty tense little movie um and it's it is well done it's beautifully shot um the 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 whole thing in the house is just like it's in another universe from mm -hmm. outside the house and the attic is a third universe yeah um and these these kids you know they're all supposed to be in their 20s um like your dad was yes yeah and um they're just they're just it just seems like they're already old men from what they've seen. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a it's a. There are moments of joy in it, but there's a lot of, you know, dread and fear and anger and incompetence and anger at the incompetence yeah. and all the rest of it. So, you know, it it is. I wouldn't say it's a fun movie to watch, um, 
but it is a, a film that, again, is very well made, wonderfully acted, and has... Um, gorgeous writing. Gorgeous writing. Um, and um, that one, that scene you were talking about where, um, you know, four of them who are virgins go into town before they get shipped out in a mm -hmm. flashback and, uh, and uh, try to find some companionship. And that turns into something very sweet and, frankly, unexpected. Yes. I, I think in a modern movie that scene doesn't end well. No. <laughs> but... Uh, but we also remember that, you know, even, even though it wasn't made in the 40s... Right. It was still... It's still a 30-year-old film. Yeah. So there's a lot in there that wouldn't play now. And I think the book probably, and I, that's a, this is a guess because I haven't read it, I think the book probably romanticizes our protagonists a bit, that they're just these soft-hearted kids who are thrown into this horrible situation, but at their cores, they're still good people. And... Uh, you know, having never been in war, mm -hmm. um, I don't know how that would twist or break somebody like myself. Well, I would be a, a puddle of tears in the middle of the floor from the moment I got my draft notice. But, um, uh, you know, these, these, these young men still are decent at their cores. Mm -hmm. And... I'm just not sure that that really is a terribly realistic look at at something that they that boys of this age would have gone through. I'm not sure they would have been left so pure. I don't know. I can't. Yeah, nobody I can't, can. I can't speak to it. But um, I, it just, I do want to read the book now, though. It does seem like it's a bit romanticized, though. Um, could be. Then again, we don't know. No. I mean, I remember hearing the story of a young soldier who had an opportunity to um, be with a young woman that way. And when he found out that he was going to be her first, he wouldn't go through with it. So there, there were decent young men then. There were, uh, whether the decision on not going through with it is because he didn't figure she'd be any good or not. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Only Stan. Uh, well, uh, you know. Only Stan. Uh, anyway. We should probably take a break okay. and come back and um, rate this, so we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage. We are talking about the 1992 film, A Midnight Clear, a World War II drama. Uh, it was Maude's choice this week, so let's start, as we usually do on part two, with what rating do you give A Midnight Clear? You first. Oh, me first? Yes. Um, I think I'm going to give it four stars um but 
that's only because I just feel like it was a little maybe too sweet. Um, Made you until the a end. Little? Until the end. Uh, yeah, it's it's just. You know, I'm not sure that it is an accurate portrayal of these young men and the 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 effects war had on them. Well, you know, um, it was a work of fiction. Well, I know, I know. So, but even a work of fiction should reflect reality. Well, and I think in a lot of ways that it did. Oh, and maybe it did. So I don't know. I don't know. But yes, I it's it's beautiful to look at. Except when it's really ugly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the acting is, is terrific. It's got a great cast. Um, you know, the scenery is is devastatingly... Uh, so cold. Gorgeous and barren. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it, 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 uh, it, 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 was, it was good. I enjoyed it. Ish. Well, again, it's a movie that's difficult to enjoy. It's not a fun movie to watch, but but yeah, it's good. It's very good. I recommend. Okay. Um, I loved it. I am giving it five big, sharp, jabby-stabby bayonets. <laughs> um, wonderful cast, gorgeous writing, beautiful cinematography. Um, the score is glorious. Um, it's just, it, it was very satisfying for me to watch as a girl, okay, because mm. I'm a girl, duh. Mm. Um, so, yeah, five jabby, stabby, sharp bayonets for me. Um, the movie has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, eh. so that's pretty good. Uh, it does not have a Metacritic. Uh, it was not exactly a commercial success. Uh, the I'm budget, not surprised. The budget was $5 million, and its total box office was a million and a half. Ouch. Kind of not good. Well, but um, when the DVD release happened in 2012, um, it, it was, I think they said that it was something like it, it was a movie that maybe was finding its audience now or something. Or it had been a movie in search of its audience or something. Are you on the wiki? I am. It's on the wiki somewhere. Uh, All I see about the 2012 DVD release. um, Reviewing it in The Observer, Philip French described the film as an ironic and at times surreal fable. And the plot twists are uh, matched by the sharpness of its moral insights. Okay. Doesn't say anything about. Yeah, there's something in the wiki in the wiki somewhere about a, a, a film in search of a in search of its audience or something. Um, anyway. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, it is available to stream on Peacock, so uh, it um, has all the commercials were at the beginning, and yeah. then after that, it was interrupt uninterrupted. So, which was great. Yes, I love when Peacock does that. So, uh, if you are interested in a Midnight Clear, it's not really a Christmas movie. It just happens to occur around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are, uh, if you like World War II films, if you are a fan of Ethan Hawke, mm-hmm. Gary Sinise, Gary Sinise, Peter Berg, Kevin Dillon, Ari Gross, Ari Gross, or John C. McGinley. Um, 
being a donkey. Um, <laughs> if you're a fan of any of those guys, it's definitely worth the watch. And the the actor who plays Father, uh, yeah. Frank Whaley, uh, he's one of those guys who's got one of those faces that you see him in a bunch of stuff. He looks about 12 years old in he this film. He does. Uh, but, so um, sweet. His name is Father because he wanted to be a priest but didn't make it through the seminary. God yes. love it. But he sort of acts as their 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 moral compass, yes, sort and, of. And their you know he does last rites and and things of that nature. Yeah, so. well, yeah, he's still you know a religious person. Yeah. he just didn't get through seminary. But uh, it's got a great cast, and you know it it's it's like I said, it's got this feeling, at least for me, this feeling of something bad's about to happen, and. Um, that makes it interesting in part because you're just wondering when's the other shoe going to drop. Yeah. So, uh, again, it's on Peacock, and uh, you can stream it just for watching a few uh, commercials for it. Yep. Okay. Uh, what else have you been watching, reading, or so on? Well, we watched a bunch of different variations of the Scrooge Christmas Carol mm-hmm. um fable as mm-hmm. it were um and i don't remember which ones we had watched prior to our break but we watched the one um with kelsey Grammer and jane krakowski in it that which was, was another okay that was another musical version i liked it much better than you did yes. but you didn't hate it uh, no i didn't hate it um we watched a animated version on netflix that was also a musical actually a um, kind of remake of the uh, Albert Finney musical Scrooge. Kind of, sort of. Some things were recycled from it. They they used some of the songs mm-hmm. from from that version. It has a very interesting visual style. Yeah, it's interesting to look at. But if you are looking for a traditional version of the Christmas Carol of a Christmas Carol, the Scrooge Carol, mythos. Yes. This, this is not this it. changes quite a few things. For instance, he has a dog, a perfectly lovable, sweet dog that we all know Scrooge would How not have. How are you going to have dog. a Scrooge with a dog? Um, and and it changes some events in the story a little bit. It was okay. I mean, I'm but glad it, to have seen it. Yeah, it's I not it. one that I'm going to add to the annual list of things yes. by any stretch. We watched the FX version. The um, one with Guy Pierce again. One with Guy Pierce. We it's had three hours long. We had not watched it since 2019 when it originally came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it is three hours long. Plan your snacks. And again, it makes quite a few changes to the story. It's so dark and twisty, though. Yes, it is. I love that. I love that element of it that they made it so twisty and dark, and the fact that Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce's Scrooge is much younger version of Scrooge mm-hmm. than we typically see. And he feels dangerous. He does. Uh, That's part the of thing. the dark, twisty... And and we get a look at Marley in the afterlife, um, which isn't terribly pleasant. Yeah. Um, and the way they do Tiny Tim, who is played by a little person, um, and the way they handle his demise, which uh, it's not really a surprise, Tiny Tim dies in during the uh, Christmas Yet to Come sequence. Mm-hmm. 
but the way they did it is chilling and scary. Uh-huh. I mean, I a lot of people thought it was sort of long and boring, tedious, but I really enjoy that. Version. I love that version. I it is so dark so and good. twisty and yeah. and uh, depraved in places. <laughs> well, and but in the changes that they make are worthwhile changes. Mm-hmm. They drive the plot forward in a different way than we're used to, mm-hmm. and I just I liked it. I, really, I loved it. I like it quite a I I've enjoyed that version quite a bit yeah. too. Uh, it's just it is an investment. It's 3 hours it, of time. Well, plan your snacks, you yes. know? Get your get your little mini fridge next to the couch and and bundle up. We watched the nineteen fifty one the nineteen fifty one version with Alistair Sim, yes. one of the classic versions. I had forgotten that it it seems to be the most overtly religious of the versions that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm a believer, so I appreciate that element of it. That that additional element of um, redemption, as it were. Yes. Um, Alistair Sims' portrayal is wonderful. Mm-hmm. He, um, it's, it's just, it's a beautiful version. We also watched Patrick Stewart's. We did a Carol. another beautiful version, yes. and you know we love Captain Picard, well, so yeah. I'm all about me some Patrick Stewart. But it, it, it's a very traditional telling. It is, even though they throw in a few bells and whistles here and there. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's really good. I I enjoyed that version mm-hmm. too. All right, uh, are we done with the Christmas carols? Are we scrooged out? I think I think we may have reached the <laughs> conclusion of our scrooges. I think we scrooged ourselves. Oh no! <laughs> uh, you and I watched Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery on Netflix. Yeah, we did. It is. Was uh, that during the break? Yeah. I it's it seems it was, like it's been so long. It was I think early in the break. Maybe, um, but it was a uh, it's a it's a really good. If you like if you liked Knives Out, you'll, you'll like this. You'll, I think you may enjoy Glass Onion more uh, because the the whole mystery of it is so much more twisty than the first one. Yeah, there are elements of surprise, even you know, even for a mystery, there are mm-hmm. elements of surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to give a shout out to Daniel Craig as the Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc. He's just he's just praline coated goodness. <laughs> he just is. Now I'm not really um I'm I haven't watched much of his anything. I'm not a James Bond person and I don't really know much of anything else he's been in. I I need to um, spend some time familiarizing myself with Daniel Daniel Craig because, you know, Benoit Blanc is just glorious. Well, there isn't a much different character from Benoit Blanc as James Bond. Well, yeah. I mean... It's like there's two different people playing him. Those yeah. two characters. Uh, it's his. Well, that's called his, acting. Well, yes, his Bond feels like a guy that can take and throw a punch, whereas the other Bonds, to me, just were kind of pretty. This guy yeah. looks like he's been beat up a couple of times. He's he's yes, he's manly looking. Yes, uh, but yeah. Uh, 
I would actually suggest Casino Royale for you to watch. That is the first uh, James Daniel Bond Craig. that he was. Yeah, the first okay. Daniel Craig James Bond. I mean, it's like probably I've, I've most... never seen a James Bond movie ever. Any of them, really? Yeah. Uh, he, that one's probably the most accessible of his James Bond. I need movies. accessible. Yeah. At least because, to start. Because in that movie, he had just has become a double O agent. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, but yeah, Knives Out on Netflix. Uh, Glass Onion, Glass Onion. Knives Out Mystery on uh, Netflix. Is oh, and Edward very Norton. Very well worth your time. Edward Norton. Um, divine scenery chewing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everybody in that movie is really good. They really are. Even, uh, even Dave Bautista, uh, who plays this. Um, in the description, he was supposed to be like the first social media influencer super with conservative a, with influencer a, with a million followers and yeah he's this uh he's this men's rights guy with this really hot girlfriend yeah um gun toting jack gun to yeah he carries a gun with him everywhere he goes it is uh it's it's and it's just a really great character who yeah. isn't necessarily all that likable but uh you you will enjoy watching him perform it yeah um, we watched uh, on HBO Max Unveiled, Surviving La Luz del Mundo, uh, about a, a mega church in Mexico that mm -hmm. also has uh, locations in the United States and other places around the world about how the three people who have run it over the course of its existence, a grandfather, uh, father, and son, are... Uh, Freaking pedophiles. Yeah, yeah. They, they have sexually abused several very young members of their church over the course of its existence. But they have so much power and money that they have been able to sort of tamp down anything, uh, any bad publicity in Mexico. But um, the leader uh, made the mistake of coming to America where he has faced some consequences. So... Uh, it's it was just three parts as I remember. Three parts, yeah. Uh, and it's on HBO Max. Unveiled, surviving La Luz del Mundo. Not for the faint of heart. No, there's there's uh, content warning. There is uh, a frequent discussion of um, sexual, sexual abuse. abuse. So keep that in mind. Also on HBO Max, we watched Call Me Miss Cleo. Uh, call me now. Uh, about uh, Miss Cleo, the uh, alleged psychic and tarot card reader, who uh, she was, was the face all the thing in the nineties. Who was the face of the psychic uh, hotline? Uh, you know, three ninety nine. Uh, the first five minutes were free, but that was spent taking your information and uh, slowly asking you generic questions, and then people who didn't know what they were doing as far as tarot cards or they weren't psychics, uh, would try to keep you on the line as long as possible. Uh, and, but she was the face of it. And she did all those uh, commercials. Infomercials. Yes. And um, she ended up facing some consequences for the fraud committed by the people who owned it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. it And I, I still, on occasion will see a psychic hotline commercial, mm -hmm. a current psychic hotline. Mm -hmm. And it's like, did you people not learn anything? 
Oh, but those were different people. Yeah, I know. Uh, we have watched um, a, a uh, it's not really true crime, but it's uh, adjacent to true crime. It's called Night Watch. It's really good reality television. It's on Discovery Plus. Uh, the first two seasons are uh, in New Orleans. The third season is in Tampa. Meh. We're not crazy about the Tampa. The Tampa the, the thing, teams are boring. The thing that makes this show, the, that made the first two seasons more interesting were the personalities of the EMS drivers, um, the EMS techs, who were going out on these calls and dealing with people whose only access to health care is through calling an ambulance. And sometimes they have significant medical emergencies, and other times it's an asthma attack or it's a... Oh, uh, an asthma attack can well, kill yes, you. Yes, it can. But, like, you know, they, they just, these folks... Sometimes it's... Don't a, have access... A panic attack or, to, um, you know, one lady just was, like, I don't get constipated or something or had indigestion or... Well... I remember one guy who said he'd eaten too much and had indigestion was actively having a heart attack. That's true. Uh, and and one woman thought she was having a heart attack, but she was having a panic, a panic attack, attack because she had previously had a heart like, multiple heart attacks yeah. and bypass surgery yeah. and stuff like that. But it's the personalities, especially in the first two seasons, of the EMS techs that make this show so watchable. And I was so unhappy when they went to Tampa because that group of EMS techs and fire people... They're just dull. Are, they're so white bread. They just are dull and boring. And they're, the calls they get are, weren't nearly as interesting as, um, as the folks in New Orleans. Well, you know the Cajun Spice. True. But then they went back to New Orleans in the fourth season... And now one of the EMS techs we followed was now like a supervisor. Mm -hmm. She was working alone, um, providing assistance. In a sprint unit. And she had just, I guess, maybe playing off of people she knew, her partners. She, she just wasn't as much fun to watch. I mean, the, the emergencies were still riveting. Interesting, yeah. But, you know, it just didn't, you know... Well, she's they by split herself. Up the, they split up the teams. Yeah. And, you know, I just, it, it I, I haven't finished all of it, but I, I have a feeling maybe it's just not quite got it's the not punch the magic. Of, the, of the first and second season. But that's called Night Watch. You can watch the first season. On Hulu. On Hulu. But seasons two, three, seems like they skip one. Don't know. Anyway, uh, other seasons or on Discovery Plus. Uh, as mentioned earlier, we watched The Pale Blue Eye on mm -hmm. Netflix, a uh, murder mystery uh, I'm involving... I'm again. Sorry if you hear things rumpling. That's... Oh, that's Maud unclenching her legs. Uh, set in the 1800s, uh, The Pale Blue Eye, a, a detective is approached by the commandant of uh, West Point, to investigate a murder, a cadet is found hanging with his heart cut out. 
Um, and uh, this this detective who has been at, had been out of the business for a while gets some unexpected help from another cadet named Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. Allen Poe. And the dude they found to play him, oh my gosh, that egg-headed noggin is <laughs> Poe made over. It, it, it is a, a very interesting resemblance. Uh -huh. Um, and uh, that noggin's just huge, and the mystery is very cloudy throughout all of it until it snaps into focus at the very end. At and the I don't want to very end, very end. I don't want to give away anything, but it it is not at all what it seems. It's not what you're thinking. Yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, Christian Bale plays uh, the. Um, the detective, mm -hmm. the old, worn out, beat up, retired detective, and uh, I don't remember the name of the actor who played uh, Edgar Allan Poe, but some they... dude who had been in Harry Potter movies. Really? Spalling, Spall, hmm. Spish. No, 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 no. That that was that the was a different guy. Uh, but somebody he, that, was, that was a guy named Spall. Snelling. I don't. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter. Bugging me. It uh, does to me because I'd never heard of him before. But he, uh, they make a, a very interesting team, and and it's it's a very enjoyable Harry Melling. Melling, uh, it's a very enjoyable film that uh, takes a minute to get um, get really percolating, but once it does, it it's it's fascinating, mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoyed it. The Pale Blue Eye on Netflix. Uh, watched a comedy special called uh, Blocks. It is Neil Brennan. That's on Netflix where he goes through his various insecurities and his his uh, fears and uh, Neil Brennan is not really the kind of stand-up comedian that is set up punchline. No, he he's, was interesting. He, he, he is, he's, he's burying his soul he has a, another Netflix special called Three Mics, where he does like uh, straight up jokes and then tells stories and then uh, and, and this is on a, each mic. Mm -hmm. And the third mic, he's like, you know, confessing his you know fears and stuff. Interesting. So, but it is, it is, and it's really good. But uh, this one's called Blocks, and. Um, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. were, were you paying that much attention yeah. to it? Okay. It was interesting. Yeah, it's very good. It's on Netflix. And what else? Um, can I can I can I jump in? Yeah. The nineteen seventies Bob Newhart show is streaming oh, on that's Hulu. Right. Yes. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> and I if if you think you remember how ugly the seventies were, trust me, you don't. <laughs> It's it's more vomit colored avocado green harvest gold, um, baby lots, mess brown. Than, lots of plaid. Lots of plaid. Lots of groovy far out sunflower prints. It's yes. and the the shag haircuts and the clunky shoes, hideous <laughs> and just as funny as I remembered. Yeah, it's it's it the holds humor up holds well. up. It holds up pretty well. Now, granted. The episode, one of the episodes we watched tonight where his wife, Emily, played mm -hmm. by Suzanne Plachette, uh, gets insecure about an old college girlfriend. 
That felt very dated. Well, it is dated, but, but um, Bob Newhart was just always funny. Yes, yes, he was. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Watch it for the '70s nostalgia, as well as for the fact that it's still funny. Yeah, Bob Newhart show on uh, Hulu. Yes. And finally, we started. We haven't finished. Madoff, The Monster of Wall Street oh on my Netflix. Gosh. Uh, and, of course, that is about the Ponzi scheme uh, runner who took billions and billions and billions of dollars over the course of, like, 40 years As in people. Bernie made off with your money. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he was almost caught two or three times um, it just makes this worse. Yeah. So uh, check it out. It's four episodes we've seen the first two and uh, we just haven't gotten back to it yet so that's made off the monster of wall street on netflix cool all right anything else nope your, all right your turn next week my turn next week having a clue what i'm going to pick but it will be something okay yes uh thank you very much for listening to comedy tragedy marriage we appreciate it we we had some people checking out old episodes while we were off and we appreciate that too uh please uh, subscribe like rate review on uh, wherever you get podcasts but especially on apple podcasts that helps us out quite a bit uh and if you have a suggestion for something you want us to watch you can send us what it is and why you think we should watch it to comedy tragedy marriage at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the description of this episode. I'm Stan the Movie Man. She's Maude the Movie Broad. Love you. Love you. And until next time. Later. Later. Yay!